Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher. 806 on this Monday. It's February 26th. 31 degrees. We've got uh, some clouds, but a blue sky on the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center. Meteorologist Thomas Geboy. Good morning. Morning, Leslie. Happy Monday to you. And as we go through the next few days, we're going to go through a little bit of a roller coaster when it comes to our weather. And over the next 24 hours, we're going to get some weather whiplash because it's going to feel like spring really through the first half of the day, kind of building off what we had over this past weekend. But as we go into the second half of the day today into tonight, a potent cold front will be moving in to the, from the northwest, which is going to shake things up in a big way. So in Park City, we'll likely see increasing clouds as we go through the next several hours. And by this afternoon, we'll bring in a chance for some wet weather with a daytime high coming in at 42. Now, when it comes to the chance of wet weather, we're mainly going to be talking about snow in Park City. But given the timing of the moisture, if we see that moisture move in while we're in the low 40s in Park City, then there's obviously the chance that we could see maybe a wintry mix or rain while down in Heber will likely start things off as rain before transitioning to snow tonight. So during the afternoon, we'll likely see roughly a 40% chance of wet weather, but that chance ramps up to 100% chance tonight as the cold front moves in from the northwest. And I also should mention that starting at the clock this afternoon, Lasting through tomorrow, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, we'll have a winter weather advisory in place for the Wasatch back with the bulk of the heaviest of the snow expected tonight when the core of the cold front works its way in. So we'll go with a daytime high of 42 today in Park City and we'll drop to 16 degrees tonight. So that is going to be a big change when it just comes to our temperature nonetheless. And it will be breezy as well. So it's going to make it feel even colder with wind chill values as close to potentially zero. And then as we go into our Tuesday, we're going to hold on to a really good chance of snow as our winds will be out of the northwest and that moisture will still stay in place. The best chance for snow tomorrow will be during the morning and then snow will likely become a little bit more scattered than eventually isolated in nature from the afternoon into tomorrow night, which ultimately means that the morning commute tomorrow is probably going to be the roughest and tomorrow afternoon we'll only see a daytime high around 20 degrees in Park City. So a drastic change from what we find this afternoon. The chance for snow will gradually Gradually go down from Tuesday night into early on Wednesday morning. The overnight low likely dropping into the single digits, but as quickly as we get into our Wednesday, high pressure builds back in. We'll see mostly sunny skies. We'll be able to enjoy a bluebird day after likely picking up between two to eight inches in the Wasatch back and likely half a foot plus for most of our northern mountains with locally up to a foot and a half. Then on Thursday, it's mostly sunny skies. The daytime high quickly returns to the low 40s. But as quickly as we see these warmer temperatures move back in, we're moving back into an unsettled pattern from Friday into this weekend. Friday will bring a slight chance of rain and snow with a daytime high of 44 in Park City. Then on Saturday and Sunday, snow looks likely across the Wasatch back with a daytime high of 40 on Saturday. We'll drop to 19 on Saturday night. Then on Sunday, we likely don't get above freezing with a daytime high coming in at 28, Leslie. Okay, Thomas, thank you. You're welcome. And with a look in the backcountry on the phone with us from the Utah Avalanche Center, we've got Dave. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Good morning, Leslie. How are you? Doing great, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Today we're looking at an overall moderate avalanche danger on the upper elevation slopes where it will be possible to trigger wind-drifted snow avalanches near ridgelines and terrain features. Um, we also have a moderate avalanche danger on mid-elevation slopes and those are directly facing east and southeast um, because we still have a layer of buried facets that are anywhere from one to three feet below the surface. Um, the avalanche danger may rise to moderate throughout the day if the snow comes in earlier than forecast. Okay, Dave, thank you. Stay tuned. Coming up, I'll be checking in with Joe Uranker with 
to tell us more about Queer Ski that starts this week. Later on, we'll hear from Park City Ski and Snowboard Alpine Director Tommy Eckbelt and Moguls Director Michaela Anderson and finally Park City Chamber Bureau CEO Jennifer Wesselhoff in with a monthly update including lodging and some of the legislation they're looking at. Taking a look at some local news now, Dakota Pacific cut 32 units from its proposal for West Kimball Junction development. That after the Summit County Council asked for hundreds fewer. KPCW's Connor Thomas reports the developer can build up transportation, senior living, and medical care. First, a quick recap. 50 undeveloped acres next to the Skull Candy headquarters in Kimball are entitled for the equivalent of 24 more Skull Candies and thousands of parking spaces. The landowner, Dakota Pacific Real Estate, proposed a so-called Plan B, which would bring over 1,000 units of housing and some businesses to the neighborhood instead. It walked back the scope of that proposal after seeing elected officials' hesitancy and current residents' organized opposition. Plan C included 727 housing units and 266,000 square feet of commercial space. Summit County and Dakota Pacific briefly exchanged blows in court last year, but now they're working together on a solution after pausing litigation. Two weeks ago, the county council gave the developer a counterproposal, years after it applied to build housing. The proposal was 500 units with stricter affordability requirements plus other amenities like a park and ride and medical facility. Commercial square footage could stay the same. Thursday, Dakota Pacific gave a substantive response. CEO Mark Stanworth reiterated that 500 units just won't pencil. To figure out how we can reduce density while still making it economically viable, we've kind of squeezed all of the juice out of that out of that lemon, and and that's that's that kind of brings us to to this modified Plan C. I'm not sure what label it's going to get now. He said they could do 695 units. That delivers the number of affordable units council members requested, just not the ratio. Dakota Pacific's Director of Commercial Development, Steve Borup, says they got that reduced density by replacing hidden garage parking with cheaper surface parking. Dakota Pacific cut the Central Park from its plan, too, but can help build more park and ride spaces, senior living, and medical facilities, Stanworth says. Andy says to add additional affordable units, they'll need a $2.5 million subsidy. That's not the full amount needed, Borup says, because the developer's taking a gamble that programs like the low-income housing tax credits from the feds can offset those additional units, too. It's possible the $2.5 million could come from designating the area a housing and transit reinvestment zone which would temporarily divert area tax dollars toward infrastructure costs. But council members want to check Dakota Pacific's math. Dakota Pacific was one of a few companies involved in creating an HDRZ with South Salt Lake last year. Council member Chris Robinson asked to see how the subsidy was calculated there, because there's lots of things unique and different market to market. After that, it could be time to schedule a public hearing. Here's council member Roger Armstrong. And it's probably getting to be time where we need to put this to a question. I don't think we're there yet. I would like to see the financial analysis. I would like to start moving some of the pieces around a little bit more. A date for another work session hasn't been set yet, but it's likely to be in early March. That'll give time for economic analysts to look at the South Salt Lake HTRZ and compare that market to Kimball Junction. Connor Thomas, KPCW News. Well, one Heber City Council member says the city is trying to learn from Park City's mistakes as it prepares for more growth and development. KPCW's Grace Dorfler reports. Council member Scott Phillips says Heber City leaders are working to manage the rapid changes and reshape downtown to fit the city's future. One of the biggest elements of that plan is the Western Bypass Road, meant to mitigate traffic on Heber's Main Street. Phillips says the need for that road is already apparent. 
even now, uh, there's some days heading out of town towards Park City where you wait there at River Road, mm -hmm. um, 35, 45 minutes just to get out of the valley. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to learn, too, from Park City's mistakes as far as working with UDOT with Kearns Boulevard. I mean, we, we don't want that scenario here. We want to have more of a unified message. But arriving at that unified message hasn't been easy. County and city leaders disagree about which of five routes they support. Generally, Wasatch County Council members don't want the road to go through the agricultural north fields, while Heber leaders would prefer the road connect back to US 40 farther from downtown. UDOT's preferred route announcement is expected by the end of the year. After that, Phillips estimates it will be seven to ten years before the bypass is built. Leaders around Wasatch County have named 2034 as their target date to have the road finished, in anticipation of hosting the Olympics. Some 80,000 vehicles pass through Heber's Main Street every day, including a high volume of semi-trucks hauling oil from the Uinta Basin to Salt Lake City. Phillips predicts the widening of US-189 will increase the amount of traffic coming through Heber. He says pulling truck traffic away from the heart of town will make a big difference in how locals use downtown spaces. One of our main interests as a city in the rerouting of Highway 40 is to create more of a destination downtown. Just standing on the Heber sidewalk trying to talk to anybody is extremely difficult because of the noise. Plans are in the works for a revitalized downtown. The city council has proposed a new pedestrian alley just west of Main Street from 200 South to Center Street. Council members envision it as a home for future outdoor dining and shopping. And a new bandshell will arrive in City Park soon to host summer concerts every Thursday evening. It's the beginning of a plaza, which will be the, the bookend of that new alleyway. And then the other bookend of the alleyway is going to be City Hall. Construction on the bandshell begins this spring, as well as a new fountain beside City Hall. Grace Dorfler, KPCW News. Well, Queer Ski, a locally organized event, returns to Park City this week. And in the studio with details on what's happening, I have one of the organizers, Joe Uankar. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. Yeah, so uh, tell me, this is a, a local effort then to do this, or is it kind of part of a whole national event? Um, it's a little bit of both. We, we started this locally seven years ago with some friends of mine. And as it's grown, it's become something that attracts a larger audience. Um, I think the, the queer community and the gay community in general has found it um, a home and, and a desire to, to get involved. Okay, so may, maybe tell, what is it? Just a celebration of, of queers and skiing? Or? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an event that is a time to heal for us to come together and to connect to one another and to, to share a love of these winter sports and, and to do it in a way that is safe and that we're able to be authentic in ourselves. All right, so do people from all over then show up? I mean, have you been able to, to market it nationally or is it more of a Utah event? Um, you know, there was already a gay ski week that existed, so we, there, there was some audience to lean in that was traveling into town. Um, we're starting to see more people from Salt Lake join in. Um, but the, the queer community and the gay community has a kind of a long history of these destination events where when it wasn't safe to be yourself in your own community, it was safer to go somewhere else, to be somewhere where the stakes were lower, you know, where you could escape the normal conditions that we were in. And it allows us to, you know, events like these, that our destination events, allows us to, to get into that space and to, to be a better, more whole version of ourselves. So does the queer gay community, though, see Utah as a safe place? That's surprising to me. 
<laughs> that that part is an education for sure. Um, you know, there's it, there's some duality that exists here. You know, like in Salt Lake, for example, uh, at one point the city council was majority queer. Uh, so there there is a strong sense of counterculture in Utah, and then there is some things happening at the state legislature, which I don't think you need to be queer or gay to relate to, just the way that they're spot zoning our, our community and kind of chopping us up into pieces. Um, but Park City is a different place. There's, you know, I like to tell people we have a hippie heritage here, you know, that's, that has more of a heart and a character to it. And so um, I think as people burst that bubble and kind of take that leap of faith to come hang out with us at these events, they discover that we have more here. You know, we are more welcoming here. All right. So the party uh, kicks off Wednesday night at the Kimball Arts Center. This is what, a catered dinner then? Yep. Um, we've got a partner, uh, Blended Table, who is coming in and, and doing all of the food for us. And since it is becoming this mixture of, of local and national um, planning team, we do a lot of remote work together. And it's a way for our local partners and our planning team and everybody to finally just be in one space and to have a family-style meal together with the community as well. And we sell tickets to that. Okay. Everybody's welcome, though? Absolutely, yeah. I think one of the most beautiful parts about the word queer is that um, it's just who's different, who's trying to be themselves. You know, it doesn't need to be a sexual thing. It's a authenticity thing. Mm, okay. Tickets are 250 bucks, and what does that include? Um, that includes a dinner, and, and we, um, we do it really well. It's a, a tapas-style dinner where we kind of bring a flow of food over a course of... Uh, two, three hours, and uh, we'll have some drinks and great company. And um, the price tag is a way to support the community that we're building and the program we're building. All right. Um, then Epic Promise has provided you with first tracks and brunch on Thursday, February 29th, starting at 7 a.m. Do you have any tickets left for that? That actually sold out as of last night. Um, we're super excited about that, and it's a way for people who, if you couldn't get in this year, but next year we'll do it again, um, to, to be able to get in on the mountain for $100, including a lift ticket, um, which Leslie's making a face at me. <laughs> so it's sail around, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so what are you going to do with those proceeds of the event since it's all been donated? Um, so this, this program doesn't actually make money. Um, we've, we've lost money pretty much every year that we've done it. And not because we're trying to make money, because we're trying to build a community and trying to create space where people can connect. And uh, unfortunately, um, we live in an economy that, that isn't designed to incentivize that. So, so everything that we do really goes back into the community that we're building. Okay. Um, and uh, so you also plan to have like a base camp each day. There'll be one at Mid Mountain Lodge on Thursday and then at the Tombstone Barbecue Area both Friday and Saturday. So what's, what's available there? The, yes. The, the idea, and this is something we're piloting this year for the first time, is um, as people are coming in, our resort is so huge that, you know, trying to stay connected and feel like we're on this this weekend journey together is, is difficult because then you're just distributed within the masses of, of all the other tourists. So these base camps are a way for us to, to move across the mountain and just to stay connected to one another. Um, they'll have the same standard lunch service that they always have. And then we'll uh, program them with a few other activities. At 1030, there's going to be some educational clinics. Um, and this is uh, a volunteer instructors who've uh, we're going to offer their, their services for free. 
and really help people who maybe don't know sport or aren't super comfortable with it just level up and learn. Um, and then we'll have some meetups at Levin for people who are already comfortable on the mountain. And the idea is that being comfortable, being able to roam around the mountain for free is part of what changes that social energy. So we'll just help people get to that comfort place. And then at 1 p.m. we're uh, bringing in some DJs and we're going to do some on-mountain operas up at the base camps. Okay, so that's pretty amazing. So the uh, the instructors basically volunteer their time for this? Yep, all the instructors have volunteered their time and we're offering these clinics for free. Yeah, that's great. So skiing and snowboarding? Yep. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's see. And then on Saturday, you've got a pride parade scheduled at Look at Lookout Cabin. Is that on skis and snowboards or just happening at the at the lodge there? Um, so it will start at Lookout Cabin, but it will travel down Doc's Run. Um, it, the, the term parade's a little misleading. It's, it's like a big group ski. You know, we encourage people to dress up and, and pull those vintage onesies out of the closet, and um, we'll, we'll do a lap together. Um, and then it, that will finish into a tea dance at the Umbrella Bar, which we've gotten a, a big sound system and a, a, one of the bigger DJs, and um, we're just going to have a, a fun party at the Canyons Village. Okay, so when is the so-called parade? starting oh that starts at 1 p.m. okay and then what's a tea dance ah so a tea dance is something that is unique to gay uh, history so in these kind of destinations especially in in beach destinations they were an afternoon party where maybe people were out hiking or just hanging out on the beach and tanning or whatnot and the way to come together and just dance and have fun and have some joy and then go to bed at a reasonable hour instead of staying up all night Okay, so tea, like drinking tea, is that the idea? Um, I, I think it was like the tea hour, yes. That, yeah. that, that's maybe how it started. With, uh, I actually don't know the, the full history, but yeah. Hmm. Okay, so who manages all of this? You and what, you have a, some kind of committee or something? Or Yeah, um, I, I'm the one that started it, but there's a, a group of six of us. Um, Kami Richardson, who I'm sure many people here know, is on that team. Um, we've got another guy named Mike Ackerman, who's have a nomad and spends his winters here. And um, we're just slowly growing that group year over year. And um, so the core is about six, and then we're, we're looking to make that even bigger next year. All right, if people want more information? They should go to queerski.com. Okay, anything else you want to mention? Um, no, just that I'd say this is a community project. So even if you are not members of the, the queer community out there and you're hearing about this, but you're part of ski community, we want these events to be open to all of us. We want these events to um, feel like we can support the town and to the local businesses. And anyone who wants to get involved, please reach out. We've got a, a form on the website. Okay, Joe, thanks. Thanks, Leslie. It's Joe Rankar again with Queer Ski. Well, it's a goal of Recycle Utah Executive Director Carolyn Moore to run a marathon on all seven continents, and her husband Chris Neville is joining in. Perhaps their most challenging 26.2-mile run will be next month on the most southern aspect of the world, the frozen continent of Antarctica. In less than a month, War and Neville will be one of about 150 people competing in the annual Antarctic Marathon. Why, might you ask? I really like running, and maybe I was getting bored with races in the U.S. I felt like I've done a lot. I've run 29 marathons. Antarctica will be my 30th. And I was looking for something to do and a fun way to travel. Prior to this, the couple has run a marathon in South Africa through a game preserve. There was literally, like, park rangers there kind of guarding wildlife to make sure, you know, that... 
the wildlife didn't see you as prey during the race. We didn't have any close calls. It was very safe, but you definitely felt protected. It was a very different kind of race um, and very authentic culture, you know, like African music playing along the course. Again, really small race, about maybe only 200 runners. So that race kind of got us hooked on this whole continent thing. They'll fly into Argentina, eventually boarding a small cruise ship. The crew will use a smaller dinghy boat to transport racers between the ship and shore on race day. There's a rule about Antarctica. There can only be, you know, 100 runners on the continent at a time. So they're shuttling people back and forth. You know, 10 runners will finish and they'll grab 10 more runners to go start. And they make it very clear that this isn't really, this isn't going to be your goal race. It's not going to be PR. It's not going to be, we will get you on the land to run. This isn't going to be like your dream race. I think the course is there's about like a four-ish mile loop that you do six times. And you're running between a couple of research stations. Daytime temperatures, she says, typically range between 25 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit, but the conditions could be extreme with freezing temperatures and icy winds. Participants are advised to bring a few pairs of running shoes as the track could be frozen, slushy, or muddy. War doesn't expect to run her fastest race. It's all about the adventure. Her personal record is about four and a half hours, so she's hoping to finish within an hour of that. After the race, they'll have another week to explore, visit the research stations, photograph penguins, and do the polar plunge into the Southern Ocean. Their next adventure marathon destination, she guesses, will be South America or Europe. Joining me now in the studio, I have Park City Ski and Snowboard Alpine Director Tommy Eckfeldt. And on the phone with us, we have Moguls Director Michaela Wilson. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, there you are. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the races and events on the new Utah Olympic Park runs. Michaela, let's start with you. You've been with the Park City Moguls team for how long? Um, this is my third year. Okay. Um, and you are a former member of the U.S. ski team? Yeah, I was on the U.S. ski team for nine years. Um, most of that competed on the World Cup tour. Great. Um, so it's pretty fun, yeah. How has that sport changed, or has it changed much at all since you were competing? Um, it's changed quite a bit. When I was competing, very few girls were throwing um, twisting backflips or cork cork maneuvers in the air um, and now almost every girl is doing something of that sort. Um, Olivia Giaccio just won the Deer Valley World Cup a couple weeks ago with a cork 10. She's the first girl to do that um, and girls are skiing faster. They just had to change the pace time um, to make it harder for girls and guys to get speed points because people were maxing out speed points. So it's definitely progressing at a pretty rapid rate right now, which is cool to see. Yeah. Um, so you won a World Cup. Uh, was it singles or, dub, uh, or mo uh, duels? I won, yeah, I won duels um, in Ruka, Finland in 2014, I believe. Yeah, that's a big deal. So let's talk a little bit about the, the mobile teams that, uh, that you head up. They held their first competition on the Axios course there over President's Weekend. How did that go? It was awesome. It was definitely a very challenging course, um, and we've got some ideas to make it a little less challenging, actually, for our events coming up. But we had almost 85 competitors for two days of competition, um, and, you know, it was a really successful event. The judging went really fast, um, and overall it was great. It was a good learning experience. We have some tweaks to make to the hill moving forward because we're hosting junior national championships in mid-March where we'll see, you know, almost 300 athletes on that hill as well for moguls, um, ages from U13 up to U19 from all over the country. So it was pretty fun and exciting to kind of unveil this new venue and, and helped us learn what we can do to 
make it better moving forward. Yeah, let's start. Let's talk a little bit about some of those challenges. What, just steep? Is that the main? Yeah, it's super steep. So the overall pitch of the course is 27 and a half degrees. And if anyone listening is familiar with mobile skiing, that's very steep. Um, and so it's definitely a challenging course for a regional level. And it's especially up top. Um, it's very steep up top. And then it kind of flattens out a little bit after top air. So some of our um, goals are to just make that top air knoll a little bit bigger to hopefully make it a little bit friendlier landing so that they're not landing on quite such a steep pitch. Um, and then the middle section and the bottom air are pretty ripping. And then we'll have a U15 course right next door to it that we're going to start a little lower so it won't have that super steep section up top, um, but it'll still probably average, you know, 26 degrees the whole way. So it'll still be a challenge for sure. Right. Um, and my understanding was that Deer Valley's course is the steepest on the, the tour. What does that measure in at? So that measure, measures at 28 degrees. Um, so this new Axios course averages only a half a degree less, um, but Deer Valley Champion is a little bit more of like a sustained pitch the whole way, whereas ours is a little bit steeper up top and then flattens out more. So you can imagine coming into that top air is even steeper than you would coming into top air of Champion. Um, so it's it's certainly a challenge. Okay. Also wanted to ask you about the pants that mogul skiers wear. I mean, they've got like kind of the 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 lines the across. Yeah. So that's important, yeah. huh, for the judges? Yeah, it's a judging criteria. So, um, you know, most of our run is, is judged. We're only 20% time. Um, so 80% of your score comes from your judges' score. And part of that is absorption over the mobile. So judges really want to see, A, those knees tight together, but B, knees moving up and down. So your upper body should be very, very still coming down the mountain. And the, the lower body, the knees should be pumping up and down to kind of absorb up and over those moguls every time. And so those knee patches help highlight that that absorption and extension up and over the bump for the judges to see. Yeah. And then in terms of the judges, where do they come from for your competitions there? They come from all over. We have judges coming from California, from Washington, from New York um, that kind of come from all over. At this event, we are having judges um, that have taken the fist judging course. So they're able to judge norams and world cups and stuff like that to keep the caliber and the quality of judging high um so yeah we're flying in a judging panel from all over okay so you mentioned that you've got uh let's see the junior nationals march 13th through the 17th um yep. free for people to come and just watch yep there will be spectator access so you can um walk up the you know, lookers left side of there's like a little cat track that'll take you right to the bottom of the mobile course. And it should be a pretty big event, pretty fun event. And we encourage you to come out and cheer on all of these athletes. There will also be an aerials event, I believe on the evening of the 16th. Um, and that'll be over like um, above the museum building on the intermediate hill. Um, and so that'll be a pretty fun event to watch as well. Okay. And how many kids do you have participating in moguls? We're, our goal is to get 300, so we're sending out 300 invitations, and so it should be pretty big. Oh, okay. But in terms of the local program, how many you've got in Park City Skiing? Oh, that's snowboard? a good question. Um, I would anticipate having like 10 to 15 probably. A lot of our athletes are a little bit older and have aged out of this competition, but um, we do have a good young crew that's kind of up and coming, and I know they're hungry to start participating in events like this. Okay, so do they get chance to kind of i mean will they have the hometown advantage here just given some of the challenges of the course 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, the fact that they get to train on this course a little bit and most of them have competed on it last weekend um, will definitely help give them a, a leg up on competing on this challenging venue. Okay. And then in terms of the overall number of, of mogul skiers for Park City Ski and Snowboard, what do you got there? All ages. We're right around, we're right around 50. Okay, great. All right, anything else you want to let us know about that? No, just thanks for having us. We're really excited, and thanks to the UOP and the rest of our partners for supporting our program and giving us these awesome training venues to both train and compete on for our athletes. It's huge. Okay, thanks, Michaela. Also, as I mentioned, we've got Tommy Eckfeld, Alpine Director with Park City Ski and Snowboard, in the studio with us. Um, they've got the Alpine runs open a little bit earlier than they did the Moguls course. Yeah, I mean, the, the UOP really had its challenges with temps this fall, as everyone across the, the region did. But uh, they were able to make snow. We got on there and uh, cracked off uh, just before our Utah Invitational races on January 17th, which were the first races at the uh, Spencer F. Eccles Olympic Mountain Center on West Peak. Okay. Um, so how is it going there? Do you have similar challenges with the course just cut that you need to work out? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, uh, it, it's, a, it's a big hill. Uh, it's a large course. It demands a lot of uh, the red netting that you can see from 224 and the surrounding neighborhoods um, when the lights are on. But uh, that netting is obviously safety protection, and it takes a lot of manpower and a lot of hours to, uh, to put up, take down, and, and maintain on a regular basis with, uh, with incoming snowstorms. So it's a, it's a big effort. But uh, with the help from uh, UOP staff and all of our coaches pitching in, um, we've been able to really maintain that slope to really keep it in top shape. Okay. Um, you've also even gotten some of the younger skiers to use it as well? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've actually hosted now uh, 19 races on that new slope this year. Um, and that spans everywhere from slalom, giant slalom, and the super giant slalom, which we just finished this past weekend with our, our youngest group up there, our U16 age athletes. So that's our 14 and 15 year old athletes getting to try, uh, try their hand at that steeper run. Okay. So you've got actually two hills out there, right? To yeah, so, so now there's the, the small hill, which has been open for a number of years now. We use that on a regular basis with our U10, U12, U14, and all the way up to our FIS and Masters programs. But uh, the, the Olympic Mountain Center on West Peak, that side, with Olympic Hopeful being the, the trail run, that is really the, um, the newest piece that we've been using for our older athletes, um, including our Masters. That's the name of the run, Olympic Hopeful? Olympic Hopeful, yep. And the, the name of the, tr the chairlift is Game Changer. Okay, awesome. All right. Now, you mentioned that you hosted the first ever S, uh, Super G races there. Is there room for a downhill course as well? No, it's not. Um, from an international standpoint, it's not homologated or long enough for a vertical drop standpoint to host a downhill. But we are at the, the legal standard for um, FIS or the Federation International of Skiing for, uh, for Super G. Okay. Um, and I guess, so how many races can you have going on at once over there? On so what's, what's pretty amazing is uh, the speed of the lift and the captivity that we have all of our athletes at that one location. We can, I think we can estimate we can um, host four to five runs a day um, with the amount of time. The lights on that trail actually give us, you know, an extra hour or so beforehand in the morning to set up and get athletes moving up the hill. So, um, 
it's pretty cool. This past weekend, we showcased that venue with our U16 athletes, like I mentioned, but we did three races in a day, three Super G races. So it was pretty special. Um, we turned a lot of heads, impressed a lot of people from out of town. So it's great to really kind of showcase the venue and the work that everyone's put into that, that venue. Yeah, it's really opened up a lot of opportunity, right? I mean, just easy access for folks. There's plenty of parking, no reservations needed. And yeah, I mean, the, the versatility now that we have with all of our great you know, partner resorts between Deer Valley and Park City still with the ex-Olympic venue and and now with, with this venue coming online is just the capacity that we have to be able to give all of our athletes really what they need at any time is, oh. is pretty cool. All right. Now, you do have some upcoming events next week, huh? Yeah, of course. When uh, when we schedule races, it snows. So I'm sure the town would love if we scheduled races every weekend. Um, for us, it's a lot of work. But uh, we do have races this coming weekend at Park City Mountain with our uh, annual David Wright Memorial Ski Races for U14s. Uh, that's two giant slaloms and a slalom race Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, March 1 through 3. Um, of course, we're expected quite a bit of snow during that time period. And uh, that pretty much caps off our um, our competitive race season. But we do still have, obviously, our town series races, which we rescheduled our round two for March 22nd. But our next most recent one is uh, March 8th for, uh, for that next town series race out at the Olympic Park. Okay. Um, so back to the David Wright Memorial. So why is that held at Park City Mountain as opposed to UOP? One, I, I still want to continue to keep, you know, using our, our you know, solid standing partnership with, with Park City Mountain. Um, Paul Gruber and, and Shader have been great to continue to keep hosting us there. So um, it's, it's a classic venue. It's one that I don't want to give up and I want to continue to use. It's still a great venue. And it actually is, if you can imagine, that hill is more or less flipped on, on, an, on its side versus um, the one at the Olympic Park where it's flat up top and steep on the bottom. CBs and peekaboos are steep up top and flat on the bottom. So it is a little bit more um, conducive to our U14 or younger aged athletes hmm. for, for direct competition. Okay. Um, and then with the uh, town series, you mentioned the next one, March 8th. Um, but you've also got one March 22nd and the final race, April 5th. So people could have signed up for all four, but can do it individually. But you also offer some kind of training yeah, so we've got uh, we've I, I added we added town series training nights for people that wanted just to come out and try their hand at running gates. Um, there's a small fee for that, but um, really it just covers the cost of the lift ticket and and just to get you out there and and running. Uh, we've been trying to have because um, we've got a number of celebrities that are involved at the club that give their volunteer their time. People like Ted Ligety, Doug Lewis, uh, Eric Schlopey, Pickaboo Street. There they tend to come out and. Uh, help me run, you know, run the training so they can give pointers and uh, and really kind of be a part of it as well. Okay, and then the town races are held on the smaller hill? Yep, town races are, are held on the small hill. Um, you know, they're, they're set at a, a distance that is, you know, pretty conducive to everybody. It's kind of right in the middle of slalom and GS, so you don't need all the equipment for the, the padding that you do for the slalom events, but it gives people a chance to, uh, to race with their buddies. Okay, anything else you want to mention with the Alpine team? No, I just say uh, come check it out this weekend, and uh, if if people are interested in trying their hand at, at racing, um, we can you can sign up uh, for those town series races at parkcitys.org. Okay, Tommy, thank you. Um, also on the phone with us, we've got Emma Gerard. She serves as the cross country director for Park City Ski and Snowboard. Good morning to you, Emma. 
morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us um, uh, what you've got coming up. So um, the our Devo team is going to be going up to Sun Valley this weekend for the Intermountain Youth Ski Championships. It's for U16s and younger, so really focused on younger kids, elementary school and middle school, and it's just a super fun event that focuses on sportsmanship um, and teamwork and things like that, um, but it's also pretty competitive racing, and um, it's just a really fun event to attend, um, and Sun Valley is always a fun place to go for the team, so we're super excited about that. Um, our comp team is just getting back from a tune-up race in Bozeman, and um, we've qualified 10 athletes for junior nationals that will be in New York, Lake Placid, in early March. And we also qualified one alternate. So that's um, a pretty big team for us. We're pretty excited about that, especially considering our comp team is fairly young right now. And then mid-March, March 16th and 17th, we're going to be hosting the Western Nordic Club Championships at Soldier Hollow, and that's going to be for pretty much all ages, all abilities. There's even a race that adults can participate in if they want to. So we've got a lot going on, and we're super excited for the snow that's in Park City and the remainder of the season. Yeah, so where does uh, your team do most of its training? We are at all the cross-country ski trails in Park City and also Soldier Hollow, so we spend a lot of time at White Pine Nordic Center, um, especially with our kickers and gliders group. So we love it there. And then we are also at Round Valley quite a lot and the RTS trails below UOP. Those are the primary primary places we are. And occasionally we go down to Mountain Dell and ski there too. Okay. Anything else you wanted to add, Emma? I just, you know, thank you for people that support our programs and you know, particularly our coaches at this this point in the season, they're working hard and a lot of weekends, and we're super grateful for the coaches that we have in our staff and, and the passion that they, they put into coaching each day. Okay, so we've got Emma Gerard, Tommy Eckfeld, and Michaela Wilson. Thanks so much, all, for your, your time this morning. Thanks a lot. In the studio now with an update from the Park City Chamber and Visitors Bureau CEO Jennifer Wesselhoff. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. So let's start with the launching data. You have the numbers for January and then a look at February based on reservations that were booked by the end of January. Um, Mike Lohr is reporting a 3.5% decrease from a year ago. You've got something a little different than that? We do. Um, our January information shows that our average occupancy was up just about 2%, and our average daily rates for that same time period was up also about 1.5%. What I think um, Mike's reporting might take into account and where ours doesn't necessarily is, you know, we're looking also at Airbnb and um, Verbo data. Um, that's not necessarily included in our Destimetrics data. So there's lots of different sources of data. What's interesting when you look at those platforms of Airbnb and Verbo, 
the uh, short-term rental listings on those platforms grew 13% in January, um, which, you know, obviously when you have an increase in supply, that hurt probably our overall occupancy in the community, generally speaking. So on those platforms, occupancy for those short-term rentals dropped about 10%. So when you look at Mike's numbers, I think it, it provides a good balance between the different types of properties that we have in our community. Um, looking forward though, February reservations on the books are up about 7% while those rates are um, down just a little bit about about 4%. Hmm. He's counting toilet flushes though, right? I know. <laughs> and again, I mean, maybe people are dehydrated, so they're not flushing as much. Who knows? But I, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I think, you know, looking forward, there's a lot to be optimistic about. Looking at our March bookings, um, our March book bookings on um, as of January 31st are up 8%. And April and May percentages, um, those increases are even higher. So looking forward at the next six months, I think we can be optimistic looking at about a 4% increase um, and average daily rates are really starting to level out. Um, looking forward, the next six months, our average daily rate is just about $775. Okay, let's look at some other economic updates um, and you measure taxes and those look like they're all up as well. Yeah, good news. I, I think what we're seeing is, you know, the number of visitors that we have coming to Summit County are spending more in the community. Now, keep in mind, these taxes are reported for Summit County, which reflect performance for a couple months back. So I have January numbers from Summit County and those show sales taxes for November performance were up 17%, restaurant taxes up 7%, recreation, arts and parks um, tax collections up almost 20%. Um, in the TRT reporting, we see a, a large increase up almost 50% in those TRT reportings. But when you look a little bit deeper into that reporting, we can see that a few of our hotel properties um, prepaid for December. So not quite a great apples to apples comparison for the TRT right now. It's better to look at those, I think, anyway, over a quarterly or six month uh, seasonal average. So we will see that, I, I think, balance out a little bit but you know when we look at the evidence of the national economy we are seeing um, signs that the odds of recession have declined now to less than 50% due to strong national labor market and low unemployment. We're seeing declined inflation and a, bor a borrowing environment that really is sensing that those interest rate cuts are coming in the upcoming months. So, you know, overall, I think we have a, a lot to be positive about when looking at the, the economy. Okay, um, you serve on the Salt Lake City Air Service Development Committee. The airport set a record for total passenger traffic in 2023 by how much? Well, t 27 million passengers traveled through the Salt Lake City Airport. Um, that's up about 4% uh, compared to last year where we just beat that um, in, and even up from 2019, which was a, a previous high of about 26.8 million. It was interesting at that meeting to learn what the busiest day of the year is at the airport. Um, and they shared with us that President's Day 
is the the busiest day uh, for the Salt Lake City Airport, and that also compared to the previous President's Day, which was the record um, last year, which if you recall, was the NBA All-Star Game weekend. Um, so we beat that this year, even without a, a major event um, in, in the state during that time. So some good news there. I think it's also great to know that there's a lot of expansion happening. I know we're all probably very anxious for that that center central tunnel to be completed, which they report will be completed in October. So just about six months away. So we're all very excited about that. And um, Frontier Airlines also announced nonstop service from Salt Lake to Dallas-Fort Worth, San Francisco, Ontario, California, and all of those will begin in April 2024. Um, I think at some point, Leslie, you might be interested in bringing some reps in from the airport and hearing about all of their great plans and their phased approach to additional gates. It's really fascinating when you look at the growth of the airport and really how that impacts all of our our efforts related to to tourism in general. All right. Um, I know we want to highlight some of the legislation that we're watching down at the State House. Um, my guess, the bill for the Major League Baseball Stadium and proposed 1.6% increase in the transit room tax is a big concern. Right now, that bill has probably taken up the most amount of my time and the tourism industry's time over the last five days. This is House Bill. Um, 562. It's officially called the Utah Fair Park Area Investment and Restoration District. And, you know, the tourism industry in general is very supportive of um, Major League Baseball and the idea of creating more vibrancy in the state and in the Salt Lake City Air, Air um, the Salt Lake City area. Um, what we're trying to do is lessen the impact on the tourism industry, especially related to the, the TRT, which is the transient room tax. Um, originally, that bill started out with a 2.5% statewide uh, TRT. It wasn't statewide. It was on seven surrounding counties, um, Summit County and Wasatch County, of course, included in that. And um, over the course of really the last two weeks, we've worked really closely with um, leadership um, at the state level to lessen that impact. So right now, we're looking at a potential 1.5 statewide increase that would go into effect when the franchise agreement is signed, when and if the franchise agreement is signed. So. Um, we are working really hard communicating with our legislators right now, asking if they would consider lowering that to even a 1% rather than a 1.5%. What this bill currently doesn't take into account is the growth of the, the lodging industry over the course of the next 10 years. In fact, there are 2,000 units being built in 2024 today in Salt Lake. So we think that we can still help them achieve their revenue goals, but still lessen the impact on that statewide TRT and make it more equitable, not just on those seven surrounding counties, but around, um, statewide, since it will be a state-run and state-owned facility um, at, at the end of that agreement. They're also looking at a 1.5% increase to the rental car tax. 
Um, we are asking them if they would consider in that bill, and currently the bill does include um, a group business carve out, which any group um, piece of business that's greater than 20 rooms would be exempt from this 1.5% um, statewide TRT. And, and that's important to us, Leslie, because um, group business generally is more sensitive to the overall checkout rate. So if we can keep that overall checkout rate lower and more competitive with the national average, which is about 14%, if we can stay in that range, it helps us be more competitive in that group market space. And for us here in Park City, um, the group market makes up about a quarter of our total overnight business. So it's a really important market to us. We want to continue to grow that as well. So it's important that we have that carve out so that we can stay competitive. So what does that one and a half percent, if in fact it is approved TRT due to the overall TRT tax in Park City? It will take us up to over 15%, um, which is a little bit over that national average. Mm. And I, I think the other challenge with that too, is it really um, ties our hands locally to potentially increase that tax anymore and to be able to use those funds for um, resources and mitigation efforts that we really that are important to us. Um, I think the other aspect of this bill is that it does include a 0.1% um, statewide TRT, which can go towards mitigation. Right now, that bill currently only lists four through six counties to be able to use that for mitigation. So we're advocating that either all counties or at least third class counties, which would include us um, in that. And, and right now, the other transient room bill is the Birkeland bill, which would allow third class counties a little bit more flexibility on the TRT collections. We're supportive of that bill, but right now that bill's on hold until this MLB um, negotiation and, and bill moves forward. Okay, and then real quick on the alcohol bill, that's good news just to add more licenses? Or? Absolutely. We're watching HB um, 548. That gives um, portability within hotels, which was really important to our industry, and then also being able to increase those those licenses. We send out a, a weekly legislative update for anyone that's interested who's a member in receiving that. Just email us at membership at visitparkcity.com. You'll get that um, that email in your inbox every Monday. There's just one week left to go, and I think the next uh, the next five days is going to be pretty hectic and, and very busy as you know those bills drop. Okay, and I'm just going to mention something real quick. Uh, the business survey is online till March 1st. People can go to ParkCityChamber.com. You've got your business after hours mixer fulfilled on Thursday, the 29th, five to seven at the outlets, and then you've also got your Chamber Snow Day at Park City Mountain on Thursday, March 28th. That's again for members only? Yes. Okay. Yep. Jennifer, thanks so much. We'll see you next month. Thanks, Leslie.